Welcome to Best Friends Finance, empowering women to take control of their financial future by talking about money with friends. Welcome to Best Friends Finance. I'm Laura Ford, and I'm here today with my co-host and one of my dearest friends, Amanda Kessler. We started this podcast to help empower women to take control of their financial future by talking about money with friends. And Amanda, I think when this episode airs, it's going to be our 61st episode, which I'm super excited about. But what keeps happening is that we're just finding out that we're just hardly scratching the surface on all things, conversations about women and money and finances. We keep finding these amazing guests to interview like today's guests. Will you tell us a little bit more about Pam? Absolutely. I'm so excited to welcome Pam Prine. Pam is a co-founder of Keystone Capital Management Group, which is an investment and retirement planning firm. And she and her partner manage millions of dollars for their current clients and help them in planning for a successful and bountiful, abundant, we like those words, retirement. Welcome, Pam. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. This is absolutely one of my most favorite subjects to talk about is women and money and helping them find their financial confidence. So I'm really excited for what we get to to discuss today. So are we, especially because you've been doing this for, is it near 20 years? 18 years. Uh 18 years. So we imagine you've seen just about everything. And um, that's what we're we're excited to talk about, all the different um, circumstances specific to women in retirement. Pam, we always like to start, though, with your money story, because as Laura and I have talked about so many times in our podcast, a lot of us were not raised talking about finances and money specifically. So what led you to become so... uh, laser-like focused on women and finance? Well, it's quite ironic because I grew up on a farm in Idaho. And so very simple, easy, easy life. And as a dad that was a farmer and a mom that was a stay-at-home mom and those kind of things, life was very comfortable and it was very good. And it was interesting because food was in the fridge, money was in the bank, gas was in the gas tank by the corral. And we just didn't, um, money was never talked about. It was kind of like air. It was just there. So I didn't have an idea if we were wealthy or not or whatever. We were just very secure and very comfortable. And when I needed something or wanted something, I would, you know, ask my parents and my mom would write a check, but um, things really weren't discussed. And we didn't have a regular paycheck. My dad didn't have a you know, the paycheck coming in, you know, a couple times a month, he was paid one or two times a year. And um, so it was very different. And being raised on a farm, the farm paid a lot of the bills. So I never saw them making a house payment. I never saw them making electric payments, because that was made through the farm. So money was kind of just not an issue for me. And when I, um, It's interesting because when I was growing up, the word stock meant cattle. And so people will say, oh, you know, oh, my goodness, this little uh, farm girl from Idaho who, you know, basically fell off a tater truck. What are you doing managing, you know, a multi-million dollar firm? And how did you get into the industry? And so that was quite interesting because didn't really have a financial background until I went to work at a bank back in the late 70s, early 80s. And that's where I really started my financial education. Then I was actually blessed to be able to um, stay home and and raise kids. I was a a full-time mom for several years, but I always wanted to get back into the the money industry. And I thought 
you know, this would be great, great, I'll go back to the bank, but I just had an opportunity to be exposed to the investment world. And I just kind of tippy-toed in. And then it just kind of, um, it just intrigued me. And I went as, as my husband and I started, you know, investing and he had his 401k at work and such. I remember our experience with our first advisors. And basically it was, um, we had to call them. We had someone um, for about eight years and there were three phone calls made in that time. And two of them were us calling in to see what was going on with, you know, the investments that we had. And I thought, you know what, this is important. And I don't, I think I want to get into this industry and be the kind of advisor that I wanted to have. And so when I had this opportunity to get in the industry, to get licensed, I really wanted to make that difference. And, you know, like I said, be the kind of advisor that I had wished we had had. So that's kind of where it all came from. And just really understanding how women feel. Sometimes we're intimidated by money. Maybe we don't think we deserve to have money. Uh, it's that we're never going to be the one in charge. A lot of women don't want to be bothered with it. They just let their husband, their partner deal with it and hoping that is something they never have to deal with. While others want to tippy toe in, but maybe they're intimidated. They don't feel comfortable asking questions. They don't want to look like they don't have the knowledge or the expertise. So just coming in and helping women feel comfortable asking questions where you're at. Um, what's your money story? What's your first recollection? What did your parents do? It's so fascinating when we start dealing with clients and that's they start talking about their money story and we keep tissues in because a lot of times it's very emotional, but we dig down to the root of where they got their behaviors and their feelings. And um, if we have time, I'll share some of those experiences with you. Wow, that's so relatable. Amanda and I started off our journey in this podcast doing the very same thing. And there were tears. There was there was a lot of um, recognition on our part of, of the things that we've avoided and for, and for and both of us for so many different, I mean, we all avoid it for different reasons, right? And so much of it has to do with the way that we're brought up around money. Pam, tell us what you say women's biggest fear is around money. You referred to it as they're, they're afraid of becoming a bag lady. What does that mean? Isn't that interesting? Um, there was a book that I read several years ago, and it's called well, an article that came out in a magazine. But then I was so intrigued by it that I looked up the author. And her name was Eleanor Blaney. And she had written a book called A Woman's Worth, Finding Your Financial Confidence. So when I read the article and read her book, I'm like, this woman gets it. She really gets it. And she was actually um, in an all-male firm. They, they managed hundreds of billions of dollars. And she was the most successful advisor in the all-male firm. And she talked about specifically... Um, not targeting, but reaching out to women and helping them understand and, and have a comfortable place to learn about money and the education. And um, one of the things she says, and I'll read it here, she said, helping women take charge of their financial situation does more for their self-esteem and sense of inner serenity than years of um, therapy focusing on peripheral issues. That was powerful to me. 
And as someone who managed billions of dollars and was very successful, she said that when she retired, that because we are all very emotional with our money, but someone with her expertise, when she retired to keep her emotion out of her personal money, she actually hired an advisor to navigate her because women have an innate fear, just like Eleanor, just like myself, of becoming a bag lady, being left desolate, being left alone, being left with nothing. And it's not just women who don't have experience with money. It's women who do have experience with money. We too, it is easy to do for others, but when you come to doing yourself, for yourself, it's it's just like, what if? We, we just seem to have that fear. So I was very surprised that they say that's a woman's number one fear, but I've read that in several different um, books and resources. Wow, that really, really resonates. And Laura and I have talked about this so many times, you know, our avoidance of talking about money for the first several decades of our adulthood um, was around a sense of discomfort. Um, you know, whether it be, I, I, I'd rather just not even know because I don't want to worry about it. Or right. if we even have to talk about it, that means there's something wrong. And what we have learned is just the psychological piece of this is once we did kind of take control of this and really understand it and have a plan mm-hmm. and focus and um, a, a real picture of what the future could look like. I mean, it was better than therapy for me. <laughs> it really yes. did yeah. that sense of serenity, that word serenity mm-hmm. that she used in that quote. It's, yeah. it's immense. You know, yesterday I was um, in, in a group and there was a a coach, a life coach who was there. And he asked a group of women, he said, it's important that you work on your body, your mind, and your finances. And he says, which one of those things do you feel like is the most important that's going to um, resonate out and help the other areas? And of course, I popped in and said the mind. And most people did too, that if we get our mind in that mindset, then you know, then the other stuff, you know, can work itself out, fall in place. And I had a chance to visit with him later. And I said, as a financial advisor, and as a woman, I don't know why I didn't speak up and say, the financial. And it's not that you have to become a financial expert, maybe you just need to find that connection, that's going to be there for you, that's going to give you that confidence. So if money isn't something that is ever going to be your expertise, like for me, it's technology. It comes here, goes over my head. I am never going to get it. So what I do is I have a connection that fits in my world that gets me through that. And so women can either get educated and learn and, you know, gain that confidence to do, to um, act with their money in their own capacity, or they can get educated and find the connection that is going to be there for them to, you know, to help them with their confidence. But I said, you know, definitely. And after thinking about this quote from Eleanor, um, I do think that gaining that confidence, whether it's the education on your own or gaining that connection for you is just going to make a world of difference that can take away that fear of being left alone and not having any money. So when you first start working with women or or, uh, long-term clients, Mm -hmm. how do you help them identify really where to start or how to stay connected to, to their financial planning goals? I mean, I guess there are some really unique 
challenges for women specifically? There um, are. And, and we that. spend a lot of time talking about their money story. What are some of the things? And we all think, oh, our, you know, we go back to childhood and, and we can blame everything on what happened in our childhood. But it's really important to rediscover your um, money story. Um, I, I talked with an, a very successful attorney one time and, and I said, you know, tell me, you know, how you feel. And she said, I hate money. She said, I make a lot, but I have this relationship with it because we had a lot growing up, but my father manipulated, used it to manipulate my mother and, you know, the, the, the kids. And so it was a, a form of you do this or you're not going to get. And she said, so I really grew up and I never could figure out why I disliked money so much but it brought back that emotion of being manipulated. And so, you know, helping them understand going back to that, or maybe they always heard their parents fight about money and they didn't want to be in that situation. And so they chose to ignore, you know, so it's really interesting to find your story, but I want to share a couple of facts with you that I found stunning to me, but they were again in Eleanor's book. What do you think the average age of widowhood is? It's 56. That's unbelievable. Six. I and but you know, then when I, I thought of my own family situation, my oldest sister, there's four girls, two boys. The uh, my oldest sister was a widow at 48. My second oldest sister was a widow at 59. My um sister just older than me is still married, but her husband was a rancher. I don't want to say but that's a great thing, but she <laughs> worked and carried the benefits and a lot of the financial burdens so that money came in, went out. Ranchers, they have a great life, but they do a lot of breaking even financially. And so she, you know, carried that burden or responsibility in their life. And in my own situation, um, I'm not a widow yet, but my husband was diagnosed 12 years ago with multiple sclerosis. And so I, again, at that point in my life, I was 49 years old, took on a uh, a lot of extra responsibility at that time. So I see, I have lived it of seeing women um, like being forced to step up and take that on that financial responsibility. And so I know how important it is for them to have the preparation to get started um, just in the baby steps of either becoming educated with money or finding someone who you're comfortable with. So I, I think those facts are fascinating. Laura, doesn't that blow your mind? I know that when Steve and I sit down and talk about our retirement goals, we're always like, okay, so if I'm 92 and you live to 88, I mean, to think the average is 56. Uh-huh. And how many women are ready to be responsible, take on those responsibilities at age 56 or think that we will be? So I, um, there's a saying that says, <laughs> people make plans and God laughs. It's important to make plans, but you've got to put that, that you've always, you know, life is all about how you handle plan B. And for most women, finances are going to come into that plan B at some point. When she says that the average widow age is 56, that's, that's 10 years from now for, for both of us. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, it's, I hadn't even thought about that. Uh-huh. Yeah. You also you also shared with us that the average age of a woman spends about 17 years alone on average. 
Right. The average time that an, a woman spends alone is 17 years. And think about that. You know, and I, again, I go back to my own family. Um, my grandmother was a widow for 30 years, never got remarried. My sister has been a widow for well, both of them, one for about 28 years, the other one for 10 years now. And they don't have the desire to get another relationship out of need. And so luckily they've been, you know, been able to do it, but you, you want to be able to be comfortable and to manage a life in that point. So I think it's interesting that many couples will come into us and at right now, the husband or the partner is very savvy in investments and um, retirement planning distribution. He's really got it under control, but he wants to make sure that when something happens to him, that his wife is in a good position. So they seek out financial advisors who, you know, and, and they don't give us all of their money, but we, we definitely have some of it. We have a relationship so that he can be confident that when he passes, that his wife will be familiar with who's going to step in that role as an advisor and that he can feel confident that we are going to take care of her the way that he did. So, you know, that's another aspect of, of um, being prepared. One thing I know you talk about is that there's more to retirement than just income replacement, that there's other key areas that we all, especially women, since we're going to more likely live longer, need to be aware of. Can you address that? Yes. Um, a, a lot of it can, uh, has to do with um, long-term care. If you are left alone, do you have the income where you are going to be able to have choice in your life? I think having choice is what gives people that peace of mind. And um, so many people, we, we talk about long-term care and the expenses and the issues, and we say, well, what's your plan right now? And most of them say, I hope I don't need it. Mm -hmm. Or my kids are going to take care of me. I'm going to move in with my kids. Well, think about that. I mean, I have two daughters, both are nurses. We but both have I, two daughters too. And we know our two daughters don't want us. We both have two daughters too. Oh, and really? we laugh that they probably don't want us to move in with them someday. So we're trying you know, not to do that. Yes. And so I tell people the best thing you can do for your kids is to be able to take care of yourself so that they don't have to. And it's not that there isn't love, but I see it, you know, and, and yeah, we took care of them when they were babies so they can take care of us when we're old. You know, that really isn't the situation that we want to be in. And so um, mapping out a future that you know that you're going to have choices and that um, I don't want to, to go into their home, have them maybe have to give up a job, have some of the grandkids move out of a room so that grandma's there. And I, I've seen it happen so many times and it just doesn't work out. So maybe, maybe they do have a little casita or something for you to move into, but wouldn't it be great if you had set yourself up to be able to pay them to do that or to, and maybe they can, maybe they don't need the money, but they could set aside for college funds or something for grandkids. So there are so many options now that can be set up for long-term care and different things that, you know, and even if you don't use it, you get your money back. It's not our mother's old um, regular uh, long-term care plan where they like 
they paid for it. If they didn't use it, it was money wasted. That's not the situation anymore. But I tell people that two of the biggest threats to retirement, particularly women, are adult children and long-term care. As women, we are more generous by nature and we have this role of wanting to take care of our kids. And sometimes we don't, as we take care of them too much as adult children, we don't uh, let them be responsible for themselves or we sacrifice money for our retirement, for our care, for them. And then we are left in a, in a bad lady situation. So sometimes tough love is the best love when it comes to adult children that I remember that movie failure to launch. Mm -hmm. and, and so we need to assist them in that and let them take responsibility for their lives and um, take care of us. And that's a hard thing for women to come to grips with sometimes is it's okay to take care of you, especially financially. It's putting on your own oxygen mask first. Yes, exactly. Um, you mentioned um, sometimes where do we start? And I think the fact is that you have reached out and you want some help. Or maybe you've acknowledged that, you know, this isn't my comfort zone, but I need to be able to get out of my comfort zone and to just help me understand about money. Help me understand how to save it. And one of the, the uh, figures I think is just fascinating is it said, how much does it take to blow $10,000 a year? So just, you know, what would you think that number in is? It's $27.40 a day. So are there things you can do now? Say you're at ground zero. Can you tighten that belt? Can you find a way to not waste $25 a day? That would make a difference of $10,000 a year. You times $10,000 a year by 20 years, that's $200,000. So maybe when you walk into Walgreens, you go in specifically what you were for, and you don't come out with $25, $30 extra worth of stuff. Or same thing with the grocery store. Maybe we cut back on the lattes and the coffees and things like that. Or maybe when you wake up at night, you don't grab your phone and start doing online shopping like I am, am guilty of sometimes. But think of that. What a difference just $27.40 could begin to make for you. Save, get, begin to save. Get six months in an emergency fund, the savings account that maybe when your air condition goes out, maybe when your transmission goes out, maybe when you just need a new set of tires, instead of putting it on a credit card, you can go to that emergency fund and get it. So what normally would be a catastrophe is just an inconvenience. So start with that foundation. And that's a keystone. That's like what, what we enjoy doing is helping people lay that foundation. And then Start to get familiar with your numbers. Do you know your budget, your income and expense? A lot of people say, well, I know my numbers, but when we put them down in black and white and say, this is what you bring in, this is what has to go out each month, this is what's extra. What can we do with that extra money or what do you need to do to cut back so that you have some discretionary income? And so putting that income and expense down and going through that with them, it's a lot of people are, oh, I didn't know I had that much extra money a month. I'm wasting a lot. Or 
I'm going to have to do some readjusting. Um, maybe I'm going to need to get rid of the cable. Maybe I need to get a, um, cut out the nail appointment or whatever it is, but that we can start saving. And another thing we like to do is what's your net worth? Do you know what you, and I, it's not anything to do with self-worth, but what are your money numbers right now? If what are you worth being still living? And what are you worth if you pass away? Sometimes those numbers are different depending on life insurance that you, you have. So, and how, how is it owned? Do you own it? Do you have a trust? Is it funded in the trust? Or, um, you know, do you own it jointly? If you, maybe it's something that your partner owns, but understanding your net worth, it's a very simple document, but, you know, get it down and then watch as you, that number increases every year. So that's some exciting things. So have a money goal, know your numbers. And, you know, we say, when's the best time to have planted a shade tree is 20 years ago. But when's the next best time? It's today. So today you start that education. Maybe it's inv about investments. And you have so many tools now out there to start learning about investments. But maybe it's just simply listening to podcasts like this one. It's going to give you some ideas. Uh, maybe it's watching webinars. Um, finding someone who can help give you the education that you seek. And don't be afraid to ask questions. And my sister's fine. I tell this a lot. She came to me and she said, Pam, I want you to talk to me like I'm in kindergarten when it comes to money and investing. That's okay. You've got a great, uh, you know, a great place. I don't mind doing that because I talk technology like I'm in kindergarten every single day. <laughs> well, and that's so true because we, most of us do not have any financial background. We weren't taught this in school. Mm -hmm. I have two daughters that have just recently graduated from college who did not, who do still don't have, they're, they're getting a, a financial, um, groundwork but they but they didn't they they were not taught this in in high school and or college um right we are so, taught to make money we're not taught how to manage it save it and manage it's okay it okay to say i don't know i mean business owners they're great in their business but along with that they have to to manage a business and they're great at what they do they're woodworking or they're manufacturing but they don't know how, how to manage it to make their business successful. So it works in small businesses. We help a lot of, of those as well as individuals. It really is. It's, it's the key ingredient to like life, like a, a long life of happiness for, and not that money creates happiness, but it creates security and it gives you options. And, and ultimately, I think that's what we all want. And as women, you know what? We deserve money. It's okay. We don't have to. I struggled with this idea. I mean, once I got married, that's when my real financial education began. You mean I have to go to a, a gas station and put gas in my car and pay for it? I don't just back up to the corral where the gas tank was. Um, you mean I have to make a rent payment or a mortgage payment every month? And then I have to make the money that goes in my checking account? It was crazy. So not having that education, which most most of us don't, it's okay because there's resources now and, and people to help you get started. Um, you know, one thing that I 
talking about investing, and that's such a huge key part of planning for retirement. What does that look like today? Because things feel a little volatile. Like, how do you plan with the current market conditions and the potential volatility we have um, as we come out of the pandemic? And I mean, I say volatile, the market has been at all-time highs for a long time now, but it just feels like things could change on a dime. Things can change on a dime. And I'll never forget driving up to one of our neighbors one time, a farmer, and he walked out to the car with my folks were in the car and, you know, how you doing and everything. And he said, you know, he said, things are great. Things are good. They've never been better. And he said, that really scares me. And I'm thinking that now I wish I could show, I have a chart of the market that just shows what it's done over time. And we have, we just lived through an unprecedented bull market. We did have a year ago in March with the pandemic, but um, we've had this unprecedented growth. And quite honestly, I look at the market every day and I'm like, what is going on? How is it growing like this? We've experienced this and that's, that's got to, um, that's got to end sometime. We have to, you know, bear markets and bull markets are very common and it's time for a correction. It's time for a pruning of the market, just like when we prune our bushes and they come back healthier. It's really time for that to happen with the market. And um, people are like, well, should I get in? Should I get out? And one of the things that we try to tell people is you can't time the market. So it's just get in and start. But there are, if you, one of the best things that can happen if you are dollar cost averaging or putting a certain amount of money in every month, a huge blessing for you could be a down market. Because when you invest each month and the market is down, you actually, your money can buy more shares. So when the market recovers, you can actually make more money. And the issue that people are having is now that the market's doing great, oh, everybody wants to get in. But guess what? You're, you have already missed out on a lot of growth. So don't try and time it. Just get in and start. And we can help you understand your risk tolerance. Um, how much risk are you willing to take for how much reward? And we have some different programs. We can talk you through it. And to just start, and if you want to start conservative, if there's some other things you want to do, there's also ways that you can protect your money and you you won't lose because of what's going on in the market. When it goes up, you'll make less, but sometimes the most money you make is what you don't lose. So um, it's just important to get started. And a lot of people are ready for that because they've seen what, what has happened with the pandemic, losing jobs. Um, you know, they've had to, if they had that, Six months of savings, a lot of them had to live on it. So they're now like, okay, I really need, now I really need to get serious about this money. And um, the, the, so actually the pandemic was a great blessing to us because people more have an open mind to, to just get started. And, and, have, and another misconception that particularly women have is I don't have enough money to go talk to an advisor. I don't need an advisor how much is it going to cost me? You know, it it doesn't, it's not by the, we don't have a, a money minimum. 
we have an attitude minimum that, you know, we like when we work with people. And so an advisor, they provide so much value that is beyond the investments, so much value beyond investments that it's not about the money. And it's for if you start working with an advisor sooner, the possibilities of being able to be more productive, to have someone holding your hand through those emotional times is going to make you know, the possibility of a huge difference for you. So don't worry that you don't have tens of thousands to get started. That's not important when it comes to working with an advisor like us. I think for us, it was, it gave us confidence. It gave us confidence to know that it doesn't matter how late you get started, that there's still room for you to course correct and get you know, right. get started in one foot in front of the other. And so right. um, that's what a financial advisor has done for us. So I, I totally so agree with you. It's interesting. How did you choose the advisor you work with? Well, we talked to a couple of people, mm-hmm. different people. And through this podcast, I have um, found different advisors. Right. Yeah. I use the you? same advisor that my parents used. <laughs> A lot of people do. A lot yeah. of people do. Yeah. And you know what? You've seen a track record. You've you've seen the results. And yeah. So that's great. It was so funny. I told Laura this recently. Um, I listened to Jean Chatsky's podcast. You know, Jean Chatsky uh-huh. has been around forever. Right. She's, she's a wonderful um, person in this space. And she said the same thing that she's like, people are always shocked to, to discover that A, my financial advisor is a man. And B, that I started working with him because he worked with my mother. But I'm uh-huh. in that same boat. Right. And, you know, being in this industry, still, it's a male-dominated industry. There's only 20% of the advisors, 20-ish percent, who are women. A lot of women like working with women for whatever reason. We're maybe a little bit more uh, relationship-oriented. Maybe, maybe not. There are some fabulous male advisors, too. But it is a male-dominated industry. And... Um, I had a, a gentleman come in yesterday and he said, it's so comfortable when you walk in here. I was thinking maybe it was going to be more sterile. And, and um, you know, a lot of times I tell people, I understand coming in because a lot of people would rather have a root canal than go talk to a financial advisor. And so we have a very, a very approachable, very comfortable, um, make make it a comfortable place to be. So Pam, I want to um, go back to the volatility in the market question. Uh-huh. Something that you said reminded me of a recent conversation with a friend who was looking at investing and saying, but what if we're about to have another, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010? And being, you know, more new to my financial education, the way I look mm-hmm. at the Great Recession mm-hmm. is if you weren't trying to retire at that point, if you were just continuing to invest through all of it, it actually ended up being a positive for you. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yes. Can you, can yeah. you help me articulate that? No, I think that's, that's, like I said, one of the best blessings that you can have when you are in the accumulation phase, when you are saying is a, a recession to live through that and continue to invest through that, it can be a huge blessing for you. You have an opportunity to make more money because you were able to invest, you know, when the market was down. And so you're getting yeah. for your money. You're basically getting your stock on sale. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so it's like when we go to the grocery store and we buy something, we buy more because it's on sale because we get more of the same thing. 
And it's like the, the best time to be to actually buy into the market is when it's down. And um, a lot, but when it's down, a lot of people, they're in that, oh, it's going to go down further. It's going to. So you have to greed and fear are two biggest enemies when it comes to investing, because like I said, now, a lot of people who couldn't stand it, who got out in March of 2020, they've waited to see this ride back up and they're like, oh, well, now I can get back in. Well, guess what? You know, the ride, it, you know, can get choppier. So you have to have the mindset when you're in the market that it's going to be up and it's going to be down. And as long as you're in that accumulation phase, that can be your friend. It is true that when you start to approach retirement and um, that you need to be more aware and a little more cautious about what looms ahead. So we feel like that's why a retirement planning firm is um, prepares people for that. And that's when you maybe need to dial back and be concerned. But at your in your situation, you can go all in. Sometimes I uh, prepare or I compare being in the market to getting on the ski lift for the first time. It can be scary going in and you're like, what if I fall off that chairlift? What if I, what if it, it, you know, and it can be scary and it's very nerve wracking sometimes to, um, I'm going to sit in that seat and I'm going to get on and maybe the chair is going to rock like the market. I'm going to feel vulnerable, but eventually you make it to the top and, you know, and then you've got another challenge and the challenge is getting off without falling. And that takes a few times, but I remember my first successful got in the chair, made it to the top. I got off that mountain and I said, yes, I've made it. And that's what we feel like in when we're, you know, investing and we get to that retirement. But really, now we realize the most important part of this journey is getting down the hill safely. And the most important part of your retirement journey is making that money last, getting, I don't say down that hill, but getting there safely with the kind of money that you want to have and that gives you choice during that retirement. So I, I kind of like to use that analogy. So people are like, what if, you know, when you're accumulating, well, what if the, the uh, my uh, ski chair, you know, stops or, or swings or I feel uncomfortable in the market? That's okay. That's okay. That's part of the journey. You're going to get there. So yes, the market is going to go up and it is going to go down. Yeah. Amanda has a great story about the market going down and what her husband did. Let's hear it. I have stories around all of that. First of all, I'm more, <laughs> I'm more confident about my retirement than I am about my skiing ability because I, <laughs> I just had an accident and tore two ligaments in my knee on the last day of, of the season. So was it your last run down? It was the last run of the day, uh -huh. the last day of the season. Isn't that the way it always oh, happens? Yes. One more time. Yeah. Exactly. And I knew I was done. I knew I was done, but I went one more time. Um, and um, so for what you're saying about, about staying the course during a course correction or during the ups and downs of the market, I automate my retirement savings. It's just every month, this is automatically going in. I'm not looking at what it's doing. I know that ultimately it's yes. cost averaging. However, my husband pulled his 401k out of the market on June 30th, 2020, because he was sure the volume, the bottom was going to fall out. So we have laughed and laughed after I got over being very annoyed by that. I know. He, he is back in the market. He is, has, good. 
ripped, dripped it back in. He's almost a hundred percent reinvested now, but, um, he was so sure. And it was just that emotional. So I was not yeah. the emotional one. He was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that is such a, uh, it's such a human thing to do. We just, we can't take it anymore. And the market that quarter was that the first quarter of 2020 was the worst first quarter in the history of the market. And it all it happened within about a two week period there in March. And as an advisor, I have never lived through something like that, looking and seeing we're down a thousand points. We're down 3000 points so fast, so far. The market's been down farther, but it took longer to get there. That that was definitely um, hurt. You know, that was like heart attack city. But you've got to understand bad things are going to happen. And it is what goes down must, you know, will come up. Absolutely. Pam, thank you so much for your time today. This conversation was worth a million. Good. I'm glad. I, I, uh, I just, like I said, love working with women, help them understand the complex men and women think differently and feel differently about money. And I'll just leave you with this. A woman, for the most part, I just want to know if I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Can I take the grandkids on a cruise? Can I remodel the kitchen? Men are normally more competitive. It's did my portfolio beat my golf buddies? Did I beat my benchmark? More about the numbers. So helping people have those conversations, combining them, understanding, you know, this is why we do what we do at Keystone, because your success is our success. And I just, with one, again, another last thought is, again, connections are so important. And I truly think everybody is one connection away from something incredible. Ooh, I love that. That's a a great way to take us out. Pam, thank you so much. You're welcome. She was great. She was fantastic. I mean, everything she said, I thought was so, her stories were good. You nailed it. The fact that she could like give a a real life example of, of some of this stuff in action. That's what people resonate to are the stories. And that builds, again, I think that builds confidence and it lets people know that there are a lot of people who've made have taken missteps along the way and they just course correct. We always go back to that, Amanda, course correction and, and building confidence and um, just getting started. Absolutely. And the, I loved what she said about, you know, men kind of wanting to win when it comes to their investments and women, women just wanting to know, like, can I take my grandkids on a cruise? Can I remodel a kitchen? And whichever, whichever side of that you're coming from, it does require actually understanding your financial position and, and planning for your future goals. That's so funny when she said that, because that resonated deeply with me, because that's all that I journal about is the travel piece with family, taking the family. That's, I want those memories. Oh my gosh. I also want a cute bathroom and kitchen. (laughs) I mean, we want it all, right? We want it all. But why can't we have it all, Amanda? It's just a matter of doing the right things now in order to allow ourselves and set ourselves up for that in the future. I'm all for it. Well, if you enjoyed this conversation, we hope that you share us with the women in your life who might benefit from talking about money with friends. We are huge proponents of these conversations. They are wildly important to increase our financial literacy and our comfort. And I love the word serenity that Pam used from that quote of that book that I'm going to be getting. I'll, we'll put that in our show notes, um, but serenity around money. So please join us on social media. We're at Best Friends Finance on Instagram and Facebook. 
And if you're enjoying this podcast, pretty please with a cherry on top, share us with someone you think will be inspired to listen by simply copying and pasting the link from wherever you're listening. And if this is your first time here, hit the subscribe button so you can stay up to date with all things Best Friends Finance from across the globe and help be part of the conversation to help empower other women on their journey to financial freedom. Until next time. <music>